0: Ken Rockburn is a well known Canadian broadcaster interviewer. Many listeners are familiar with him from his days at Shea 106 and more recently at the CBC and then in Living Color on <laughs> CPAC. Yes. Welcome. Thanks for having me
1: in Living Color. Yes. yes.
0: I like what you say at the very end of the book, TV can never equal a sense of intimacy, the feeling of eavesdropping or the spontaneity and natural flow of an interview on radio. The name of the book is Medium Rare, Rare, after the radio program yeah. that you hosted. Yeah. They uh, put
1: a subtitle on it called "Jamming with Culture." I don't know why they did that. I just hate it. Your
0: book actually came out ten years ago. First thing that came to mind when I read your book was, boy, you must have a great book collection with all sorts of signed editions.
1: Oh, well, I do. I have. T- In fact, it's funny you should say that. I was just showing my twenty-two-year-old daughter the other day. She was talking about Brokeback Mountain, the film. And I said, oh, come here, I want to show you something. And I pulled out Annie Prue's Close Range, which is the last story. It's only about 20 pages long. And showed it to her. She said, that's cool. And I said, yeah. And then I showed her the inscription, which is, many fun hours talking with Ken. Come to Wyoming and visit. Really. And then... Letters because we corresponded for a while, so st- and I've forgotten and stuffed into this book were these letters from Annie Prue, So I impressed the hell out of my daughter. I got to tell you with that one, but yeah, I got a lot of a lot of stuff, and and I'm running out of places to put it. Frankly, between I, I collect local art, but I've, I've got uh, I've run out of place to put art, and uh, and I've run out of place to put books. In fact. Uh, when I mentioned to you earlier that I'm going to be going to my cottage, one of the things I'm lugging to my cottage is a box of the book overflow that's not going to have to go there because I've run out of shelf space. So yeah, I got a lot of stuff. Medium
0: rare, the book. Richard Fitzpatrick, the bookseller, put it into my hand about yeah. two weeks ago.
1: Surprised anyone still has it.
0: Well, he's got it. He had it. <laughs> Good. But he's moving over to Hindenburg. Oh okay. Spadina okay. and Jeez. speaking of moving boxes. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. Yeah, delightful, yeah. Uh, delightful guy. It was interesting to juxtapose your book, which is uh, it's more anecdotal than the book I'm going to be interviewing Eleanor Wachtel. Ah, yes. And her book, it's a bit like uh, reading the Economist because she's primarily transcribing Transcribe the interviews, the interviews. Yeah. Whereas your book is
1: it was more, more, more it was Which the, was the which was the original idea. I was asked by John Medcalf of Porcupine School to write this book. It was it was his idea originally. He, and he knew I had all these interviews. He knew uh, that I had interviewed uh, Margaret Atwood. So the idea was that he wanted me to write these pieces in which I would... I think what he really wanted me to do was he wanted me to write a critique of these people, because a lot of them he doesn't get along with. Robertson Davies, he doesn't get along with. In fact, John appears, his disembodied voice appears in the interview that I did with Robertson Davies at, at one point.
0: Well, I, I, I don't know if he doesn't get along with them. Criticism was his, his opinion. Yes, it's he that, called Robertson
1: Davies stultifyingly boring. But...
0: And you
1: know what, I think, I think I agree with John <laughs> I, I, I do most of the time on that issue, actually. But I think what he wanted was he wanted something that was really going to kind of stick to these people. And And I said to him at the time that I knew what my limitations were. I'm good at what I do because I'm informal and casual and relaxed and I'm interested in people when I interview them and that's it. You're not going to get some in-depth treatise from me on each one of these people that I've interviewed. It's just not within my capacities.
0: I love the way you dismiss Douglas Copeland and... Oh, well, yeah, that was and, and, that was and easy. The chapter I went to was, The Ego Has Landed, and mm. I, I like the way you sort of tiptoe around Peter Zowski. Yeah. You both won this, this award, and yeah. he wouldn't even talk about it, and then he said, I won five, and then he stopped, then he made it into a joke. Yeah. But you took it, I think you were a little bit... He, there, was an edge, there was
1: an edge to it when he yeah. first said it, and which kind of startled me, because I'd all, at that point, I knew from people that I talked to, and from the times that I'd met him before, that he admitted that too even in this interview he's a, he was a different person off cool. the air than he was on the air and he could be unpleasant now yep. towards the end when he was really old I think he was just a sweetheart of a guy and, uh, but yeah he, he could be a real pain in the ass and I was trying to sort of get to that in the interview and, and
0: it was very him. soft and I think maybe that's yeah. getting back to jo- what John Metcalf do yeah. you did
1: think that's what he wanted? I don't know I don't know what it was I know he Metcalf has never gotten along with, with Margaret Atwood ever I mean well I shouldn't say ever but ever since the Oxford book of Canadian verse which she edited which what came out in nineteen. 19- seventy one or something like that, I can't remember and and she didn't put him in it. And that I gather is what began their ego then. Their thing. She always thought it was funny whenever I mentioned (laughs) it to her. So but I did write in the book that I always felt guilty that I really like her, but I don't like her books. But I, I will say this, whenever I interviewed her, I made sure that despite the fact that I'm not really a fan of her books, I made sure that I read them right to the last Well, you don't want
0: to look like an idiot, which is what she specializes in. And and I'll tell you,
1: the one time that I realized what a smart move it is to... I mean, in the exigencies of day-to-day radio, you can't read everything all the time, but you can read as much as you can. And I never wanted to insult any author.
0: Well, here, let me me read to the audience what you say, page three of your centrifugal yes centrifugal <laughs> centrifugal bumble puppy that's the it's the introduction and it's out of in new oh, of the world yeah right. this will not be my style I swore I will read everything i pledged and to a large extent I keep those promises yeah to a large
1: extent so you can't always and the one time that it was brought home to me was Richler's Barney's version where I got it from the publisher he was coming in in a week and a half I think and I'm doing a two-hour radio show every day, and I have lots of other stuff I have to read, but I'm pouring through this book, and I really liked it. And the day that he was coming in, I think I still had about 20 or 25 pages left to read. And I kept getting distracted at work by other things that I had to do, and I thought, damn, I'm not going to spend that. Well, it's only 20 or 25 pages. You know, why, it's not going to be a problem. And then I found myself about an hour before we were going to go to the studio and he was going to arrive with some time in my hand. I said, oh, good. So I went off somewhere quiet and i read it and of course anybody who's read that book knows that the last sentence of the book changes all kinds of things in the story and i just remember reading that and going oh boy i am so glad i decided <laughs> to read this because i would have looked like such a moron you know, you know where you'd read everything but 20 pages and he's going to look at you like you hadn't even cracked the spine you know that was the one time i realized it was a good habit to get into
0: well, I like your story in the book about the, the Graham Green verse yes. versus the Green. The, you, you thought he was some environmentalist or something.
1: <laughs> uh, he was a sweetheart of a guy. We got away. Yeah. We got away with that one boy. Yeah. I managed to glean a couple of facts from different spots in the book in about five minutes, and using those at the appropriate times in the interview, made it appear to him. And you don't want to say to the person, "Look, I'm really sorry." you probably should but, but I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to read it You sound like such an ass.
0: yeah because you, you go to on to say in the book you know they spent years yeah. and years on this thing and here you are what you do and, and, and what we're doing here is what uh, what most people do in their leisure time is you know they'll go to a, a nice dinner party and they'll uh, what do you search for well you search for interesting conversation with interesting people and that's what enriches their lives nice. I want to devote some time to the text you do put your opinions
1: uh, in here that was a hard thing to do too i have to tell you I, as a being trained as a journalist you're, you're trained to take all of that stuff out right so when they kept when the editors kept saying no no put that stuff in it was like you know reluctantly and difficult to do because you're thinking to yourself well why would anyone give a crap what i think
0: that actually brings up another point about the interview itself I'm talking a fair amount of the time here, and the people that I admire who are interviewers do that too. They have personalities. The listener gets to, to know that, that person and rely on them, and whereas Eleanor Wachtel perhaps is a bit less that way. She's, I think she's less that way. She, she researches impeccably, but she's much less that way. Yeah. Where do you fit in?
1: Well, I, I struggle not to have too much of myself in an interview, and it's difficult sometimes. I, I know my subject, so I'm comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with, with whatever direction it's going to take me, so I don't have a roadmap planned out for, uh, for an interview uh, at all. There might be one or two things that I'm curious about that I want to know that I'll get to at some point during the interview, but I think I probably let more of myself into interviews than a lot of other people do, and I say that only because of the reaction that I get from listeners and viewers. Most often, because this is just the nature of audiences, the people who like what you do are rarely the ones who let you know that. Unless they happen to stumble across you somewhere in person, then they'll let you know.
0: Then you refer to that in your book.
1: The people who don't like you, they're the ones who will write. Or these days, they're the ones who will email. And you get that instantly. And I get it all the time. Because people think... That because you've asked a certain question. Now I'm talking now mostly about political stuff on CPAC, but the, it applies to just about anything. Because you've asked a certain question, that to them indicates that you are of that mind. What in fact that's usually not the case at all. No, you're, you're not usually thinking. asking a question to elicit a certain response to take a conversation in a certain direction, yeah. or you're being devil's advocate or yeah, whatever or yeah, whatever. whatever. But the but the responses that I've gotten from people are vicious, and vicious. It's breathtaking. Some of the things that say, and of course, my problem is that even though I've been doing this for a long time more than 30 years, 35 years now almost I've never developed that thick skin that you need. I still get pissed off at these things and I still respond to them. You know, at the CBC, they wouldn't let me answer the phone. I've said that before after my show finished at six o'clock, you know, and I would yell back at them. I really yell back at them and uh. So they, they told me I couldn't answer the phone anymore. And, uh, and then, because you're not supposed to do it at CBC, because every listener is precious.
0: Whoever said it, I, I can't recall. But, but if there isn't some sort of a debate or a difference of opinion, then there's no conversation. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. that's what you want. You're yeah. after that, as you yeah. say. You're at. We uh, we still haven't gotten to the text. No. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, okay. All right. Ask me something uh, about the know, actual book. Let's see
1: if we move one or two you more units. Right. Yeah. How many have you gotten anyway, uh, I don't know. They, had a, they they shredded them. I got the ransom note from my uh, publishers, as all all writers do. You know, because you want it. I have a box of them somewhere. Right. Okay. And that's pretty much it.
0: So getting to the text. This is a sort of anecdotal book of literary criticism, that's one way I might label it. The first chapter, it's about the beats, the beat oh, generation, yes. and uh, you going up to Quebec City, I believe, and there's yeah. some sort of conference. The, yeah. the, the fact that Truman Capote dismissed Kerouac's work as typing and not writing, which is something its just bang on, I thought. I, I never could uh, get his stuff. And I don't think it's, a, I personally think it's a classic, because it's deeply attached to that era and uh, you read it now. After. It doesn't work. I never thought it was no. worth much anything anyway. And I like the it's way that the, the woman that was married to Kerouac and slept with... Carol and, Ca- and Cassie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I dismissed them both as a couple of guys yeah, that I, were empty and... Yeah,
1: I got uh, a guy really angry with me uh, because of that chapter, actually. Uh, and uh, a couple of years later, Carol and Cassie came through Ottawa. She'd just written her memoir, Off the Road, it was called. She was staying at his house, and he invited me over, and I went over and we and we did another interview and she signed a book for me and stuff. But what I wrote about her in that chapter, and I feel a little guilty about it now too, but I think I said something about my sense of her was as a slightly kind of dotty house housewife, yep. Yeah. Who you know really was? It didn't seem like she was ever comfortable with all that. I mean, she got religion at one point, or later in her life, and so on. Anyway, I and I didn't mean it to sound as dismissive as it was. And this this guy who had been instrumental in getting me together with her took a great exception to my characterization of her and sent me a, a a very tart letter, and I haven't seen him since.
0: It's, uh, it's funny because I, I would tend to agree with him. I thought you were quite dismissive of her. And mm-hmm. when I read what she had to say with them, I thought, that's mm-hmm. right, what she's saying is yeah. right on. Yeah. That, that's and that
1: may have been, I can't recall now, but my sense is that that may have been the pressures of, uh, well, at that point it would have been Metcalf, who was I was still with, to... Put some teeth in things, to put some edge in things, yep. and so that may that may have been it. But I'm not using that as an excuse. Right. I felt badly about it afterwards, and I still do. But what the hell again? No, I
0: mean, no. It's how you felt at the no. time. I would think. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to write anything you didn't yeah. believe in, right? Uh, I thought the strongest chapter in the book was the so the chapter on Irving uh, Leighton when you got together for dinner. I would
1: agree with you, I, uh, mm.
0: I, I loved what he. Uh, he suggests that everyone go around the table and talk about uh, the most powerful coincidences and yes. and Pierre Lachey's Le, uh, The Graveyard in Baudelaire. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, he realized he was... Well, he was so sad and he started, yeah. he, started, he started... He was looking for the grave and he was so... He suddenly started crying and, and, and the closer he got, the more he... I thought that was just... Yeah. Uh, well, it was exactly what he was saying. He said, I'm very mysterious. And yours, uh, may, maybe you could quickly tell us that. Yeah, well, that actually, was, that was
1: one of the... I kind was of being cool. struck by that because I talked about how um, my wife and I had gone to Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris and they had gone all the regular places. You know, went to Jim Morrison's grave, I also went to Oscar Wilde's grave and all of those things. And then we came across Liliani's grave and there was a little, little note uh, on top of uh, the tombstone uh, held down with a stone, I think. And all it said was Amadeo, Forever the King. And then I was back in Canada. Later it was, not that much later. And... I was interviewing, was it Ann Michaels? Was Ann Michaels, Ann Michaels oh, yeah. yes. yep. Yes. Who's, I, I wasn't fugitive pieces that had come out at the time, This it was a book of her poetry I think I was interviewing her about. And in her book of poetry, there was a book about Modigliani's wife, I think it was. Well, the title of the poem was Stone. Yeah. Anyway, it was just, uh, it was all very... It was all, I, I said, but you know. But it was The, little, some king thing, right? the little King, Yeah, that's, that's The Church of the King. Yeah. Anyway, it was all very peculiar because she'd never been there. <laughs> she'd, just yes. she'd just written this poem. And it was only a few months after I had been there and seen this this thing that said Amadeo go Forever the King, and it just it was so odd. And I happen to remember it when, when Leighton was talking about... Uh, about being in parallel jazz about Baudelaire's grave and so on. Yeah, that was quite a night. That night with with uh, with Leighton, that was just, that was a spectacular night. I I recorded and the reason that everything there was so I could do it in such such detail was because I had like six hours of re, of recorded material. We had a microphone hanging over the middle of the table, and everything that went on that that, that whole event was it was a massive undertaking. It did a thirty minute documentary that I aired on Medium Rare, which that was based on.
0: I'm just looking for for I, I just want to read read just just a little bit out here because it he said it beautifully about poetry uh, or maybe yeah, I could get you to read it. It's just, uh, just it's just it's one paragraph mm-hmm. and it starts with I think.
1: Okay. okay this, is, uh, this is Irving Layton. When he just turned 80 and he said at this dinner, I like to think there's a buried self in all of us—a child, an adolescent, somebody who's tasted of beauty or insight which ordinary life prohibits. And that child is there, and I think Blake is with me, and Shelley is with me, and Wordsworth is with me, and expressing just that thought. In ourselves there is somebody who is very beautiful and very innocent, who has escaped the corrupting influence of civilization, and that individual is struggling to keep alive, to say, you know, the world really is beautiful. There is the color red, and there is the touch of the hand, and the kiss of the mouth, and there are beautiful eyes, and you look into those eyes, and you have been profoundly moved, and you have seen sad things, and heard sad songs, and they've touched you as nothing else has. Remember that. Remember that as you go down the street in the alley. That sound is there, it's always there. That's the poet. He has some kind of touch, some association with that ghost, and that's what makes him a poet. He's haunted. He's troubled all of his life, and all his life he seeks to release his troubles. Imprisoned child, ghost spirit, that is buried within every individual. Now he said that off the top of his head. He just stood up, and this is what came out of his mouth. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs)
0: love this about radio. <laughs> That's this, right. this isn't going anywhere. This isn't going anywhere, yeah.
1: anywhere. This is the sort of stuff that I aired in the Doug Copeland interview, though.
0: Yes, and I thought that was a little cheap,
1: actually. No, no, he deserved a little
0: bit. Well, I, I thought it was a bit cheap, though. Whenever someone puts ums and ahs and stuff in oh, there. Like oh, it was more know. than
1: ums and ahs. Yeah. It was way more than that.
0: Yeah, well, obviously, was, he ticked you well, off. Oh, he was beyond
1: what? words. He was uh, self centered and staggeringly obnoxious. Just, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, and I'm sure have got a guy coming in, you know, and you're being friendly and you want to do this interview and you're not, you're only going to go so far. But he, he asked me my name and then wrote K E N in big letters on his piece of paper and propped it up in the microphone and called him so that he could remember my name during the interview, that's what tore it. And I would ask him a question. The pretentious little. And he would. Sit there, and there'd be this silence of just went on and, on and on and then finally, he'd go, Um. Well, you know, I don't want to answer that one. Or something like that. Or he'd just, and then, Or then he'd give this half baked answer, and then he'd stop and he'd say, Oh, no, I'm sorry, I was up late last night. and uh, But he wasn't really apologizing. And it was just. It was brutal. It was just brutal. And he wasn't even trying. Like, he was not even trying. And I guess he thought he was being.
0: Pretty modern or Eight. something I don't know what he
1: thought he was being And, and then and he basically just I'm not even sure whether he said to me Or whether it was just an assumption on his part I think he said something but, Well, you can cut all this out afterwards No, he did say it oh, Cut all this out afterwards And I thought, well, we'll see about that, won't we? And so I aired that interview exactly the way it happened And I am vilified to this day On certain uh, Doug Copeland fan websites To this day, there are people that are hating me because of that Screw them, I say
0: Thanks very much for your time, Ken. You're welcome. Ken Rockburn is a <laughs> iconic <laughs> Ottawa-based writer, what broadcaster, iconic. interviewer.